can worship you. We can sit here. We can sing praises uh, that no matter what happens in our life, that you are good, uh, that it will work out for our good. Uh, I pray that you would encourage us. You would grow us this morning. I pray you speak through Michael. You speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Thanks, gentlemen, for uh, helping us uh, in worship this morning. Uh, we're going to go retro a little bit today. Um, some of you may remember many moons ago when we spent a fair amount of time after uh, the sermon with a little Q&A. We're going to do that again this morning, if at all possible. Um, I'll try to be brief. There's about a million things I could say this morning. I want to give a, a big general overview and then allow time for you if you have any questions or specific things that you'd like to to ask or talk about or discuss. We'll try that again. We may attempt to do that off and on over the course of the next few weeks and, and return a little bit to, to that format. If there's an outline in the bulletin, if you need one, Bo has one, you can raise your hand. He'll be happy to give you one. We are in the middle of a uh, walk through the book of Colossians that we have entitled Don't Think Outside the Box. Uh, a line from that song, uh, Thank on Jesus uh, who died to win thee. That's, that's the idea. Are we setting our mind on Christ in all that we do? Because if we, if we begin to think outside of the gospel, outside of the grace of God in truth, we will get things wrong, including uh, the most uh, dear and foundational relationships in society, husbands and wives, parents and children, which we will talk about over the next four or five weeks. Um, we are in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. We're also going to look uh, again at Ephesians. But I want to start where I read earlier. Um, in the garden, God created male and female in His image. And that, and only that, is where you and I get our worth. Because we are created in God's image, we are valuable. And if we seek to get our worth anywhere else, in some job or some role or some responsibility or some relationship, we will ultimately be disappointed. Because we get our worth in the fact that we were created in God's image. And ultimately... On, on this side of the cross, we get our, our worth because Christ chose to die for us. The problem is, though, that, that we thought we could gain worth in other ways. Adam and Eve chose to uh, try to obtain worth through an increased knowledge, and so they uh, chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And ever since then, we've been trying to gain worth in other ways. See, uh, despite the fact that we get our worth, our value from being created in God's image, God did give specific and different roles in life to males and females. In general, when we abuse, when we ignore God's rules for life, the world is going to notice that and they're going to come up with an alternate plan that they think is better. problem is men for a long, long time have abused their role of what the Bible calls headship. 
And so naturally the world has decided there's got to be a better way. And they're right. There is a better way than men abusing their roles of headship. The problem is, what they did correctly was the world has recognized, and rightly so, that men have done things incorrectly, were sinful. But instead of going back to Scripture to, number one, get a proper definition of what headship is, and number two, to find out what that looks like, they've redefined headship and they've decided they don't like that regardless. They've not gone back to Scripture. And so what's happened is the world has confused all of the roles, male and female. We live in a world where men tend to be uh, passive or aggressive. They're abusive or they ignore their families. Uh, We've been told lies that there really is no important difference between males and females. We've been told that you you can ignore those differences or even mix those differences. It doesn't matter. And that's led to chaos in our relationships and our families. Um, so what I want to do this morning is make sure that we know uh, a proper biblical definition of, of what it looks like to be a man, a husband, a male. Next week we'll do the same thing for women. And, and maybe as, as we look like men to this society, they will see something that is attractive and not something that they think, eh, I can do without that. So let's look at Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. I'm just going to read two verses and we're going to talk about just the second one this morning. Paul writes, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Let's pray together and then we'll talk about this. Father, thank you for this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, open our ears, keep us from distraction, and ultimately may we be changed by your Spirit. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Two commands that Paul gives. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. I want to start with the second one first. Uh, To be embittered, it's an emotion, it's a feeling. Paul saying, don't be bitter towards the wife God has given you. Well, that sounds simple enough, but if you find people that are bitter and you ask them why, then inevitably they will point to another person or another event in life that they say has caused them to be bitter. What's interesting is this verse turns that idea on its head. Paul says, don't be bitter. Oh, well, but you don't know my wife. You see, she never, Paul says, don't be bitter. Well, she always, don't be bitter. But when I try to, don't be bitter. What Paul's saying is you have the ability to control how you respond to your wife. Regardless of what she does, men, you have the ability to decide... To let, that, to let a root of bitterness grow where you're disappointed or frustrated or upset, or you have the ability to say, I'm not going to be bitter. And the question is, how do you do that? Well, 
goes back to our theme, don't think outside the box of the gospel. If you set your mind on Christ and think about what he did, see, he had every right to be bitter. The night that he was betrayed, he had a meal and was teaching and loving the disciples and Judas went out and sold him. He had every right to be bitter, but instead he washed Judas's feet. Peter denied him three times. Jesus had every right to be bitter about that, but he restored him to a position of prominence and leadership among the disciples on the beach after his resurrection. He chose not to be bitter. His own countrymen chose to crucify him. And he could have chosen to be bitter, but instead on the cross he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And so guys, in the midst of the difficultness of trying to figure out how to not be bitter when your wife doesn't meet up your expectations, the first thing is, will you set your mind on the example of Christ? And you think, my wife has not done anything to me as bad as what humanity did to my Savior. The second thing is, are you looking at her as fallen, yet nonetheless someone who bears the image of God? Because she does. And for you to choose to be bitter towards your wife is saying, in a sense, God, I know she's made in your image, but I don't really care. I'm going to choose to blame her and feel sorry for myself, which really leads to the third thing to help you is, are you trying to get fulfillment? Are you trying to get value? Are you trying to get worth from your wife or from Christ? Granted, God put man and woman together in a relationship that's supposed to be beneficial for each other, as we talked about last week. But if you are ultimately dependent upon your wife for your satisfaction, for your happiness, for your joy, she will disappoint you. So ultimately, our first priority should be, am I getting my worth from God? Am I getting my worth from my relationship with Christ? Because if I am satisfied in Him, I won't be so needy from my wife. So the first thing that we want to do is not be bitter. We need to control our emotions. The second thing we want to do, Paul says, is to love our wives. That also sounds fairly simple. um, But it's a different definition than what the world has. Um, Let me back up. There's a definition up there, Phil, if you'll you'll, uh, slide forward. Here's a a biblical definition of of headship, which is a kind of a conglomeration of several people's thoughts. comes from uh, kind of a mishmash of some things that Ray Ortland said and John Piper and D.A. Carson. Um, The husband bears the primary responsibility to lead the family in a God-honoring direction. I'm going to try to flesh that out a little bit. Um, I think that's a good definition of what Paul means when he says love, and I want to I want to try to flesh that out as we look at, um, we look at Ephesians because uh, there's a fuller definition, I think. So if you'll back up about three or four pages, 
back past Philippians uh, to Ephesians chapter 5, I want to talk very specifically for a moment about um, four aspects of love that Paul talks about in this passage. And then before we go any further, let me say one other thing. Some of you may be sitting here this morning going, this doesn't even apply to me, I can sit back and relax. Um, but if you're a, a woman, I told you in an email you could make sure your, your, your husband has a uh, pen and paper to take notes this morning, but you can't elbow him in the ribs when, you, when he's doing something wrong, you think. But you can have a better idea how to pray for him. If you're single, you're not married this morning, then if you're a guy, whether you're married or not, these attributes, and if we want to talk about that in the Q&A, we can a little bit, these attributes that we're going to talk about are not necessarily husband attributes, but attributes that men, that males that God created should have towards other people. I'll try to flesh that out a little bit. So as a young man, high school, college, single anyway, here are things that you should be aspiring towards. For example, don't be bitter towards someone. If you're not practicing that now in your relationships, it will be much more difficult for you to do that when you're married. If you get in the habit of just being upset with people because they've offended you, you'll do that with your wife because I promise you she will offend you at some point in time. She's human. If you're a gal here who's single this morning, you should be thinking in your mind, these are the attributes I'm looking for in a husband. Now, you can't paint this picture of the perfection. That's Jesus. You should be looking to Him. But as you begin thinking about marriage and thinking about boys in general, are these attributes characteristic of their life and the way they relate to other believers? How does that guy treat his mother? How does that guy treat his sisters? How does that guy treat other women in the body of Christ? Again, not looking for perfection, but is there a general character trait for guys that I might be interested in? Then you go, you know what? He does these things in general. All right, let's look at Ephesians uh, chapter 5. First, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Well, the first definition of love is that it's sacrificial and serving. Then to be head of your wives doesn't mean that you get to boss them around whenever you want to. It actually means just the opposite. Are you doing everything in your power to sacrifice your own wants, your own desires for her good? See, in the garden, Jesus said, Oh man, I really don't want to do this. But not what I will, but Father, what you will. See, He, he did what was best for His bride, the church, even though he really didn't want to. And he had every right not to. He was fully God. He was fully in charge. Make no mistake, at any point in time, Jesus could have put his foot down and said, you know, I don't really want to do this. But the reason we say he loved us was because he set aside his own wants and desires for his bride. He did what was best for her. Right? You as the head of the family, yes, ultimately any decisions that are made, the responsibility falls on you. You might say, well, that seems awful risky. If I, 
what if I let my wife have her way and that turns out to be the wrong thing and I could have overruled her? Yeah, love is risky. The gospel is risky. Grace is risky. If you're continually, as long as it's an an amoral decision, as long as it's not a big deal, if you're continually sacrificing your wants and your desires for your wife and allowing her to have her way, that's risky. But that's what God did for us. He sacrificed Himself. and, And as you look around this world, as you look around the church, we abuse that gift of grace on a regular basis. Your wife may choose to abuse your goodness and your kindness. And are you willing to sacrifice for her? Again, ultimately, the responsibility for the decisions that you make rests upon you, on your shoulders. You have the right as as the head of your family to veto or overrule. But if you ever think that God has not given you a wife for a good reason... See, I'm void of a a lot of common sense sometimes. And my wife has a lot of common sense talking, trying to make a decision. She'll know the right thing to do instinctively. And if I always just do what I think's best, we'd be in trouble a lot of the time. See, part of being a leader, part of having headship is knowing the strengths of the people that are around you and using them for the good of everybody. Being head of the family doesn't mean that you make all the decisions. It means the responsibility rests on you for that final decision. If you're like me, guys, a lot of you married uh, way above your heads. You have a wife that's brilliant, has common sense, uh, is intuitive about a lot of things that you're not. Do you trust her and do you incorporate her? Do you involve her in decisions? So we sacrifice our own wants, our own desires. We're willing to serve our wives. That's love. That's headship. second thing is in verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, we don't sanctify our wives. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But part of being the head of the family is, are you guiding her? and your children to be more Christ-like? Is one of your motivations for the things that you do in your family, am I leading, am I guiding my wife, my kids towards Christ to be more Christ-like? Do the decisions that I make, the way I spend my time, do they help or hinder her relationship with Christ? We need to think through those issues because that's the Holy Spirit's goal in our life. He's always sanctifying us, always conforming us into the image of Christ. So as we go through life, men, are we thinking, do the decisions that I make, are they just selfish decisions? They help me or do they help my family become more Christ-like? It's a, a completely different way of thinking about how we live our lives in the world thinks, which really says... What am I doing to build myself up? The third thing is down in verse 29. Actually, the third and the fourth thing. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. See, Christ nourishes the church. What that literally means is He he feeds it. 
gives it food, spiritual food. Men, are you nourishing your wives? Are you feeding them? Ultimately, the goal of feeding, the goal of eating is to get stronger and to stay healthy. Are you doing things in your marriage that allows your wife to mature, not just spiritually, but emotionally and mentally? And to strengthen her in everyday life. In other words, if something happened to you, does your wife know enough about what goes on in the family that life wouldn't fall apart? Or are you just doing everything and assuming that she can't handle the day-to-day affairs of, of your family? Not that she has to do everything, because again, God put husbands and wives with different gifts, different abilities together. But if something happened to you, would your family fall apart? Because you've kept all the financial, all the business decisions, all of the bookkeeping, all the record keeping to yourself, and she wouldn't have a clue what's going on. Again, not that she has to do everything. Not that you don't have different gifts that you use to strengthen that relationship. But is she a, is she a partner in your marriage? Are you nourishing her? Are you strengthening her? Are you doing what's required that she's a fully mature person, or is she completely dependent upon you? And if something happened to you, uh, her life would go south very quickly. Finally, uh, Christ cherishes the church. Um, Is your wife secure? Does she know that you love her That that relationship is the primary relationship outside of God in your life? Is she secure? Does she wonder what you're looking at on the computer? Does she wonder why your eyes wander around when a cute girl walks by? Is she secure in your love for her? Or does she wonder? Does she wonder about Is she worth anything to you? Again, and we'll talk next week about that some more, ultimately she gets her worth not from you but from God. But do you make her feel less than worthy in your eyes? Do you cherish her? Does she know that she is important to you, that you love her? Do you tell her that on a regular basis? And do you treat her in such a way that she knows that she is the queen of your castle? She should be. She needs to be. As I have said before, I, I mean, I stand up here not having all those characteristics down pat. You can talk to my wife and know that on a regular basis that I fail at one or more of those. But we are in this together, and, and men, we need to be praying for one another because the world needs to see husbands that look like that, that serve and sacrifice for their wives that guide their wives, that nourish them and cherish them, that treat them actually like the image of God that they are. Again, for those of you who are single, as you think through those things, you don't have a wife, but guys especially, as you relate to those in the body of Christ, is your attitude more of what's in it for me Or how can I serve you? Are you beginning to practice those things that you will have to have in a marriage relationship? 
Am I serving others in the body of Christ? Am I sacrificing my own wants and my desires for someone else? In relationships where I have an opportunity to speak truth, am I guiding people towards Christ? Or am I guiding them away from Christ? Are my conversations orchestrated in such a way that, that people see Christ or that are all of my conversations about just stuff of the world? Do I nourish people? Do I encourage them? Do I build them up? Do I say words that, that strengthen them and help mature them? Or am I more interested in tearing people down? And do I cherish members of the body of Christ? Do I, do I act in such a way that people know that they're valuable to me? Whether you're 10 or 16 or 18 or 25 and you're single and you want to find a, a wife, you need to begin practicing those attributes now. Because it's much more difficult to try to change in the stress of a marriage than it is beforehand. And with God's help and the Holy Spirit's power that you can do that. Part of me thinks sometimes maybe preaching to the choir in here. There are, uh, as, as I talk to you, as I look at your lives, I look at your marriages, there's a lot of strong marriages in here. But I think, I know I need to be reminded of what my role is on a regular basis. That it really is not up to my wife to determine how I feel and that bitterness has no place in my life. I really can lead by serving and sacrificing. Because you know, remember when Jesus sacrificed, what happened? Well, God exalted him to the highest place. You really get by giving, men that I need to be a leader and a guider in my home, not just in making all the decisions, but in making sure that we as a family and the individuals in my family are moving closer to Christ on a regular basis. And do my words build or tear down? And does my wife know that I love her above all else? And that's the challenge for us. It's, it's a huge challenge, but nonetheless something that we need to work on on a daily basis. That we need to be Christ-like in our relationships. Because the world needs to see a proper biblical marriage. So that they don't reject what they often see and try to build something else which is not based on, on this. Let me pray for us and we'll, we'll talk a little bit. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would um, encourage us, men, to be the people that you have called us to be, to be the husbands that you have called us to be, that we would ultimately be completely dependent upon you to do that. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.